Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, humbled before your throne. Lord, we come before you today to confess our sins, to lay out all of our sins and our burdens before you and acknowledge that you sent your son to live and to die for us. And so, Lord, we come before you today to thank you and to praise you for that. Lord, as we come before you on this day and we consider the, the day of the year and the celebrations that are taking place, Lord, we know that um, this day is used by the world to celebrate things that are weird and, and strange and, and wicked, uh, but Lord, we come remembering that uh, this day was a day in which we prepared our hearts to thank you for those here on this earth that you sent before us, uh, not only your son, but your saints that followed afterwards, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for those who uh, came before us, who fought the good fight, who lived a life uh, honoring to you and whose fruits planted roots uh, for us that uh, we have that example uh, that they lived. And so, Lord, would you use the examples of those who came before us, whether it's people in, in history and years and decades and centuries past, or um, those that uh, we've known personally personally, who um, are with you now. Lord, use those as examples to draw us closer to you, um, examples of how we can better love and better serve you. And so, Lord, bless our time together this morning. Everything that we do and everything that we say, honor and glorify you, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. All right. Hey, great. For a minute there, I thought I was all alone. But hey, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1 today. You'll find that on page 1 in your Bible, which is always helpful. And uh, hopefully your team won yesterday. Did your team win yesterday? Oh, oh, go Buckeyes. Oh, you're just like me. You're in the wrong state. I'm a Wisconsin fan, so my team won yesterday too, so... But uh, they're only ranked like number 30. So anyway, so, number eight beat number six. So go state, I guess, is the sentiment today. So we're in Genesis chapter one, starting in verse one. And we're going to be read through uh, the fifth day of creation in our study. And here we have the words of Moses to us, starting in verse one of Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, 
And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. The Lord add his blessing to hearing and the reading of his word this morning. As was mentioned later in our service this morning, we will be taking communion, so make sure you have a communion kit and find those in the back foyer. And so you're ready at the end of the service for that time of remembrance. Well, all of us are living in a pretty chaotic world. I'm sure you've noticed by now that that's the case. And sometimes there seems to be a lot of upheaval in our lives. Relationship changes, employment changes, health changes. People come into this world and then people pass from this world. Over the years... These past 11 years, in particular, Kathy and I have experienced quite a bit of upheaval and change. 11 years ago, we started off here in Michigan, but then we moved to Granger, Indiana, and then we moved over to Europe, to Budapest, Hungary. Then back to the States, we came back to Indiana, back to Angola. And then the Lord called us to Chicago, and most recently, the Lord has called us here. As you can imagine, probably the most chaotic transition is when we moved to Europe, when we moved to Budapest which really wasn't a part of our plan, but apparently a part of God's plan. And, uh, you know, we've been married for many, many years, several decades. And as you can imagine, over several decades, you accumulate uh, a lot of stuff. And so now we're going to get rid of a bunch of stuff and go to Europe. And uh, they set us up with an 8 by 8 by 20 container that we could jam anything we could take with us over there. So as you can imagine, a lot of things didn't make it, right? My drum set made it. That, That was good. But uh, one of the beds didn't make it, right? But we got there. But you can imagine, we get there and we can't find a house and our, sh- our stuff's in a shipping container out on the high seas somewhere. And uh, eventually we finally, finally found a place and, and we started to move in, but our stuff hasn't arrived yet. So now you're moving in and you're sleeping on the floor of this nice house that we're in. Eventually our shipping container arrived and everything was there that we needed by God's grace. You find out what's important when you finally put all your stuff in an 8x8x20 container and ship it off with you. 
But sometimes when we look at the world on the surface, it just seems as though there's no ultimate reason or organization in all that's going on. It seems as though everything is a part of some cosmic experiment that's gone wrong and that everything is ordered through random chance process. But as we will see today, we know that God orders all things and everything is held together and ordained by his mighty hand, even down to the smallest detail even down to the molecular level. Even though there are those who believe that everything has come to exist by random chance processes, we can't escape the reality of what we see in the complexity and diversity, order and beauty of all that God has created, designed. And if God has taken such great care with all that he has created, he will most certainly take great care of us. We've gone back to the beginning in our study of the book of Genesis. We're on day five. As God began his creation, he told us that it was without form and void. It was not fashioned. It was not filled. And you will recall the first set of three days, he took to fashion this world where he separates the light and the dark in day one. and day two, he separated the atmosphere from the hydrosphere. Day three, he brought forth the dry land, separated the dry land from the waters. That was the fashioning portion, the forming portion of his creation. But then the second set of three days, he then fills that which he fashioned. So on day four, he fills the light and the dark with the sun, moon, and stars, as we studied last week. Today, we're on day five, as he fills the atmosphere and the hydrosphere with sea and flying creatures, fish and fowl, if you will. And then day six, Coming uh, soon to you will be uh, the land, animals, and man. Uh, that's coming up after the missions conference. You don't want to miss that in our study. But today, in light of day five, in terms of these creatures that God created above and below, I have three truths I want to share with you from this passage. But before we dive in, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time we have to gather around your word. And Lord, again, we long to hear from you today, not from this speaker. We want to hear what you have to say as we encounter your word. And not, not only as we encounter your word, Lord, but as we encounter your world, as we look at your creation, we see the beauty of the intricacy of your design. Help us not to miss your handiwork, your fingerprints over everything that you've made. So Lord, guide our study Help us. Uh, open your word to us by the power of your spirit, we ask. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. Well, in your materials that you received when you came in, there are sermon notes. Here's the first truth from our message today. First of all, God created life with incredible complexity and diversity. God created life with incredible complexity and diversity. Verse 20, it says, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Notice the phrase, And God said, God speaks and stuff happens. Remember on day one, God said, Let there be light. There was light. And now he says, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and there they are. Note that this statement, and God said, when God speaks, is totally contrary to evolutionary thinking and ideology. Evolutionary 
thinking suggests that everything has been moving from the simple to the more complex. Under this guise, it is assumed that the random chance process of natural selection with the cold motif of the survival of the fittest is run, running as the driver for all known adaptation among all species. The evolutionary idea is that simple organisms have become more and more complex over time. Have you heard that? Have you been taught that stuff? I was. But let's take a closer look at just how complex everything has been from the very beginning. Years ago, Ben Stein came out with a movie entitled Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. And I've got a movie clip I want to show from this movie. It's a, actually several clips all kind of jammed together. But it's going to show you how incredibly ornate, delicate, intricate, everything has been made all the way down to the cellular and molecular level. And there's going to be a little comparison. So let's run the clip and let's uh, turn up the volume a little bit and let's listen. Let me ask you a this question. Awesome. Yeah. Darwin wrote uh, The Origin of Species in 1859, published it in 1859. He had an idea of the cell as being quite simple, correct? Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, okay. If, if he thought of the cell as being a Buick, what is the cell now in terms of its complexity by comparison? A galaxy. A galaxy. A galaxy. What do we now know that a cell is? If it's not a lump of jello, what would you compare it to? It's a nanofactory. If Darwin thought a cell was, say, a mud hut, what do we now know that a cell is? I would say it would be more complicated than uh, a Saturn V. So what is in a cell as far as we know now? A world that Darwin never could have imagined. may be the most dynamic. It is one mass of activity going on, bringing information out from across the cell, opening doors, closing doors, motor molecules, motor, actually motor molecules moving along tracks. It is, it is probably one of the most dynamic physical systems in the universe. Got this whole automated city. Everything is automated, and and, and it's I mean it's it's a level of nanotechnology which would cause any engineer to drool. It's Broadway <laughs> without the traffic lights. <laughs> Again, I, I totally commend this film to you, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. I think you can find it on YouTube. Totally worth the watch. Uh, just amazing design and complexity all the way down to the molecular level. Little factories, enough engineering that uh, any engineer would drool over it, they say. You ever wonder why the evolutionists, you know, talk about missing links between, you know, different varieties of creatures? Well, you know, there's these missing links that are there that, but the problem is there's a reason why they call them missing links, right? Because they're not there. <laughs> they, 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 maybe they don't exist at all because they never found one ever. There aren't any missing links. In other words, uh, 
what we understand is God created everything individually by way of its kind. That's what he says. Then when you go look and inspect, that's exactly what you find. Now, a few years ago, actually within the last 15, 20 years, the evolutionary scientists understood this problem that they really didn't have any evidence for any transitional forms by way of these missing links. So they decided to retool their view and say, well, we're going to call it punctuated equilibrium where all of a sudden a new kind just showed up. Well, just think how magical that sounds where all of a sudden, you know, from a wombat, a weasel shows up. I mean, that just sounds absurd as opposed to God creating it that way to begin with, with incredible design, with incredible intricacy from the beginning. So in our text, it says God spoke the sea creatures into existence. Incredible variety of sea creatures, whales, fish, krill, squid, octopus, lobster, crab, jellyfish. Some of that stuff I know some of you like to eat. I don't. But then there's the uh, oriental sweet lips. Are you familiar with this fish, the oriental sweet lips? I got a picture of it up there for you. You see it? Now, the thing coming out of its mouth, that's, that's, not, a, that's not its tongue. That happens to be a blue streak ras, a blue streak ras coming out of its mouth there. Well, listen to this. After spending its day feeding on little fish, the oriental sweet lips decides that it's time to get its teeth cleaned. To do this, it looks for a particular spot on the coral reef, which is often called a cleaning station. When it finds a cleaning station, it swims up to it with its mouth wide open and little blue streak rosses dart out of the coral and swim right into the mouth or up the gills of the oriental sweet lips. These little fish then proceed to eat all the plaque and other problem-causing materials off the oriental sweet lips teeth. This, of course, cleans the sweet lips teeth and is also provides an excellent meal for the blue streak rosses. If all of this isn't amazing enough, the oriental sweet lips also knows not to chomp down on the blue streak rosses when they finish their work. It allows the little fish to swim back out of its mouth so that it can have its teeth cleaned again tomorrow. And once again, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. Without the blue streak rosses, the oriental sweet lips, sweet lips would lose its teeth. Without the oriental sweet lips, the blue streak rosses would not have such fine meals. Studying these incredible relationships should give you a great appreciation for the power and ingenuity of God. But what else do we see? Well, have you seen the hummingbird? Have you thought about the hummingbird and how awesome the hummingbird is? Did you realize there's over 360 plus different hummingbird species out there? And that hummingbirds actually visit hundreds of flowers each day. In particular, the ruby-throated hummingbird, for example, can visit more than 1,000 flowers in a day. And you thought your schedule was busy. Consuming up to half its weight in nectar between sunrise and sunset. The smallest bird in the world is a hummingbird. And it's lighter than a dime. <laughs> Think about a dime. It's lighter than a dime. Unbelievable. On top of this, the blue-throated mountain gems heartbeats as fast as 1,260 beats per minute. Are you hearing that? The heartbeat of this little hummingbird, 1,260 beats per minute. Compared to average human heart rate, 60 to 100 beats per minute. So you know, we're, not going, we're not humming so fast, are we, compared to these guys? And most hummingbirds, watch this, they beat their wings 60 to 80 times per second. Yeah, that's what I say. Wow. 
60 to 80 times per second. What? 1,001. You understand how fast that is? That's crazy. Crazy fast. Then the calliope hummingbird is the smallest long-distance migratory bird in the world. It travels more than 5,000 miles each year. Where, where have you been? What have you been doing? Thanks to the bird's incredible flight ability, hummingbird migration can be surprisingly fast. The ruby-throated hummingbird, for example, makes a nonstop 500-mile journey across the Gulf of Mexico in less than a day. That little bitty thing that weighs less than a dime flies across the Gulf of Mexico in less than a day. That's crazy awesome. But wait, there's more. Did I, did I t- tell you about the woodpecker? Did we talk about the woodpecker yet? No, well, here it is. Woodpeckers are the only birds that have X-shaped feet. Other birds perch. The woodpecker, you know, can be sideways on the tree trunk, right? And it's got special feet to make it work with two toes facing forward and two toes facing backward. The woodpecker is able to move up and down, unlike other birds on a tree limb like that or on a trunk like that. Again, these tail feathers they have, these stiff yet elastic tail feathers, with the two feet and the tail feathers, it sets up as a tripod so it can peck into the tree, right? Without that tail feather set up, there's no way. You'd take one peck and fall off. That's how it's designed, that's how it's built. But then there's the industrial strength beak. A woodpecker's chisel-tipped bill hammers wood at the rate of 16 times a second. 16 times a second. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. That's uh, nearly 1,000 pecking blows per minute. But watch this. While drilling, the woodpecker's head travels at more than twice the speed of a discharged bullet. At this speed, which is over 1,900 feet per second, any slight whiplash rotation of the head during drilling would tear away the bird's brain upon impact. Ouch. To prevent this, Superbly coordinated neck muscles keep the head in perfect alignment with the beak during impact. And the head and beak thus drive straight back and forth with no side movement at all. Shock impact is further minimized by special muscles in the head which pull the woodpecker's brain case away from its beak every time it strikes a blow. Really? That's crazy. But wait, there's more. Unlike most birds which have their bill fused directly to the bones of the cranium, The woodpecker's bone-reinforced skull is physically separated from its beak by a remarkable sponge-like cartilage recognized by scientists as being better than any shock absorber manufactured by man. This padding is essential to the bird's survival when one considers that the suddenness with which the woodpecker's head is brought to a halt during each peck results in a stress equivalent of 1,000 times the force of gravity. Yeah, The head thus snaps snaps back with an impact of deceleration more than 250 times that of the G-force gyrations experienced by the astronauts during a launch pad liftoff. Okay, so do you realize, I mean, how many, if evolution's true, then how many birds' heads would have exploded before it evolved into a woodpecker? That's what I want to know. And by the way, there's a, this, these woodpeckers have super long tongues built in. Again, unlike most birds whose tongue is anchored in the back of their beaks, the woodpecker's tongue is rooted in the right nostril where it's also rolled up and stored when not in use. When in use, the tongue, which can stretch three to five times its normal length, emerges 
from the right nostril, watch this, splits into two halves, which pass over opposite sides of the skull, under the skin, comes around and up underneath the bill, where it enters through an opening, and then out of the beak through the hole drilled in the tree, which is amazing. The extra-long tongue possesses glue-secreting glands with which to attach insects, sensitive nerve endings to determine the identity of the catch, and is tipped with a, a hard spearhead armed with rearward-pointing bristles, which firmly secure the bugs until they can be scraped off into the waiting mouth. Watch. Evolutionists would like us to believe that the woodpecker's uniquely designed feet, resilient tail feathers, reinforced skull, shock-absorbing cushioning, uh, coordinated neck and head muscles, extra strong beak, extra strong and long tongue with its highly engineered deployment attachment retrieval storage system are the end result of millions of years of blind, unguided chance mutations. To make matters worse, the woodpecker's supposed evolutionary ancestors have left virtually no fossil evidence of their existence whatsoever. In other words, we don't know what the woodpecker evolved from and we don't know what it's evolving into. Why? Because there are no missing links. They don't exist. That's why they're missing, by the way. The fact of the matter is that in an irreducibly complex system, nothing works until everything works. Is that right, scientists? Yes. The woodpecker must have been fully formed and functionally complete from the beginning with all its specialized features intact right from the start in order to survive all that head bashing. Its incredible design is evidence not of the cruel, mindless process of evolution, but of a loving, all-wise, and intelligent creator God. This is who we're dealing with, a God who knows what he's doing and how he's created everything with incredible precision, incredible design, all the way down to the molecular level. It's amazing. God created life with incredible complexity and diversity. Are you seeing it? It's amazing. Secondly, this morning, God created life with great reproductive order. In verse 21, it says, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. Here we see that God created the great sea creatures and fish after their kind. That's how things reproduce, right? A bass cannot make a crab and a crab can't make a bass, right? They reproduce after their own kind. Take a look at Job 41. It's not going to be on the screen, but right before Psalms, if you take it right from your Bible, go to Job 41. You have to remember that when the scriptures speak of some of these large ancient creatures, they're using ancient language to do so. So more modern words like dinosaur and so forth that were really kind of coined within the last 175 years uh, aren't going to show up in your Bible. And so, for example, we have this huge sea creature described in Job 41, verse 1, where God challenges Job by asking him a series of questions. He says to Job, Hey, Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? The answer to that, by the way, is no. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? No. Why? Because Leviathan is a huge, ginormous sea creature. Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? No. 
Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? No. Will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? No. (laughs) Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? No. Can you fill his skin with harpoons of his or his head with fishing spears? No. Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You'll not do it again. Yeah, you'll do that once. Behold, the hope of man is false. He's laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. We're talking about God and his design with all that he's made, even these humongous, ginormous sea creatures. By the way, take a look at this slide here. Look at this big thing. You ever seen something like that? I haven't. Do you understand how big this thing is? Look at the little display case down in this corner where you walk by and you can look in it and then look up big. This is a big thing. That's not normal. I haven't seen one of those today. I don't know. Maybe it's a Leviathan. I don't know. Isaiah 27.1 says, In that the day of the Lord, in that the day the Lord with his, hand, with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. God can deal with this creature where man can't. We're reminded of Jonah's great fish, right? We don't know what kind of creature this was, but somehow Jonah found his way inside at God's providence. Fish throughout all the scriptures show up. Even Jesus divides two fish among 5,000 people and feeds them all. But then we have all these birds God created the birds after their kind, right? We understand this. An ostrich is not going to beget a sparrow, right? They're different kinds. Turkeys do not beget chickens. And speaking of turkey, it's now November, right? Tomorrow, I can't wait because Thanksgiving's coming. That's always good. We have these incredible birds, these incredible creatures. Biblically, we've got Noah's raven and the doves. The Israelites are eating quail in the wilderness, Of course, Jesus chased the bird keepers from the temple. Paul makes reference to these kinds in 1 Corinthians 15, 39. He says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. It turns out these words, you know, written 2,000 years ago are exactly the way it is. God created life with great reproductive order. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Go take a look and see what you find, and that'll be the case. But thirdly today, don't miss this. God created life with fantastic beauty and purpose. Notice what it says at the end of verse 21. And God saw that it was good. That's God's assessment with what he created on day five. God saw that it was good And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God saw that it was good. The Hebrew word here for good is the word tov. And the word tov can be translated easily as good as much as it can be translated for beautiful. All that God is creating is not only good, but it's beautiful to such an extent that we should be praising him for it. Why is it so good? Why is it so beautiful? Because our God is so good and so beautiful and wonderful. This should evoke praise out of us. 
for all that he is and all that he's done to such a degree that even all creation should be crying out in praise. Psalm 148.7, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. Psalm 104.25, oh Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. See, this should evoke praise and worship out of us. This God who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Years ago, I, I personally had an experience with the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of God's creation by way of sea life. And maybe you've done this, maybe you've been there, but I don't know what happened to me. I, I was at this, uh, I was down at SeaWorld. I'm, I'm sure some of you have been down to SeaWorld, down in Florida. And of course, when you get a chance, you want to go see the, the Shamu, you know, show where they've got this killer whale out there with a trainer and they're out in the water swimming together. And they put some incredible, beautiful classical music on. And now here is this huge animal, the sea creature, and this trainer who are now dancing, if you will, to this music. And for a moment, you know, you just get a snapshot, this, the moment of how maybe God intended how it all could have been with man and the animal kingdom enjoying each other as the, the big fish is going to get, you know, some extra food, right? And, and, it's just, and there's a, the applause of it all in terms of the beauty, but with all the music and everything, I'm just like, this is awesome. This is really fantastic. Humanity and God's creation working together in such beauty. We can hardly imagine that possibility, can we? But this is what God ordained. It said in verse 22 and 23 that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. It's interesting, the word for create in the Hebrew is the word bara. When God created the heavens and the earth, he used the word bara in the text. And the word for blessing is the word barak. And so there's a little play on words, bara and barak. So God is the creator and the one who blesses simultaneously. In Matthew 6, 25, we're reminded by Jesus himself who says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And now then Jesus gives an illustration. What does he say? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What's the rhetorical answer to that? Yes, you are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? 
Can you? Nope. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beloved, we too are called to be fruitful and multiply, and here these creatures are called to fill the waters and multiply in the earth. The earth was empty, and now it's being filled. And so we kind of wonder here, how is it that a bird brings glory to God? Ever think about this? You know, here are these, the, this, these birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But what's a bird doing to receive all the blessing that God has for such a bird? Well, the bird is being exactly what the bird was designed to do and be. Note to self. Maybe we too can bring glory to God by being all that we should be in Christ. The bird builds the nest. She nests, she sings, she soars, she protects and feeds her young. We too can do the same. And God will take care of us. God created life with fantastic beauty and purpose. He's not out to destroy you. He's actually out to save you, to give you a life, to give you a purpose and meaning, to sort out all the chaos that you're dealing with, even right now with whatever you're going through. He's got it nailed down. He knows what you need. Remember I mentioned that uh, one of the most chaotic trips we took in terms of our moves over the years was to Budapest, Hungary. We couldn't get a whole lot in our 8x8x20 container. Matter of fact, we had to leave. My, my grandparents had given me, I had inherited a, a beautiful dining room set with a big hutch with glass panels, and it was really lovely, but there's no way we could take that to Europe. So I gave it to my brother to look after. And so we go and we, we try to find a house in Europe, and we're trying to find one. We finally find one, and finally the our shipping container shows up, and it turns out the only furniture in this whole house, the only furniture there was a table and chairs, <laughs> which is exactly what we needed because we left ours behind. And we kind of go, okay, okay, yeah, okay, you get it. You know what we need. Little God sightings along the way. I hope that you can see God's work in some of those circumstances in your world from time to time where he shows you who he is and what he's doing on your behalf for his purposes. And even though there are those who believe that everything has come to exist by random chance process, we can't escape the reality of what we've seen today, what we see in the complexity, the diversity, the order and beauty of all that God has creatively designed. If God has taken such great care with all that he has created, he will most certainly take great care of us. He'll take care of you. As we move to the Lord's table, 
along this theme of understanding God's incredible watch care over us. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 6. And by the way, in terms of Peter, let's remember for a moment who Peter is. Peter, Mr. Denier guy. Remember, he denied the Lord a few times. And Jesus personally restored him into ministry. And so listen to how poignant this advice is from Peter to us as we reflect on the cross of Christ. He says, humble yourselves. Do <laughs> you think Peter understands what it means to be humbled? Yeah, I think so with what he went through. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, there was a time when Peter was a little anxious one night, standing around a fire when he didn't want to acknowledge who Jesus was. And he reminds us, you know, I should have humbled myself under God's mighty hand because he was going to deal with me anyway because that's who God is. That's what he does. He has his way with us. So rather, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to join us in remembering what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross through the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ as he died on the cross for us. And the cup which represents his shed blood on our behalf and full payment of all of our sin once and for all. If you have children with you, make sure that they understand and have uh, put their faith and trust in Christ so they can participate. If they haven't made a profession of faith, I'd advise wait till such a time as they understand what they're participating in so it becomes meaningful for them at that time. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He then says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The word for examine, that's the key word in this little passage here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. The word examine in the Greek is dakimadzo, which literally means to, to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize i.e. to see whether a thing is genuine or not. In other words, are you truly in Christ? Have you given your life completely to Jesus Christ? Have you genuinely placed your faith and trust in him as your savior for all that he has done for you and paying all of your sin once and for all? There should be no hypocrisy here. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. So have you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? If not, let the elements pass as a witness to you. The better yet would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going and turn to faith in Christ for your salvation. Receive him as your Lord and Savior even right now through faith. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. And then we invite you to please 
join us in this remembrance. So let's open up these communion packets at the same time so we make all those wrapper noises at the same time. Get that out of the way. And as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements and we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. And during this time of preparation, I encourage you to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance afresh and anew, renewing your commitment to him and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all on the cross all those years ago. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on what he's done for us. Would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked our worship director, Jeff Wright, to pray for the bread which was broken for us. Let's pray together. Dear loving Father in heaven, we before you today and as we're reminded of um, the, the bread and what that means for us uh, today during our communion time. Lord, we're reminded of uh, in the Gospel of John when Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And uh, Lord, that reminds us of uh, Exodus when your people were in need and you gave them uh, bread to eat in the wilderness. And so, Lord, we thank you for uh, the bread of life that you have provided for us uh, in our need, in the midst of our, our sin and our brokenness. And, uh, Lord, as um, that perfect bread of life was broken um, on the cross for our sakes, Lord, we come before you just to thank you for that, to acknowledge that, to praise you for that. And so, Lord, we thank you for your Son who was sacrificed for us after living a perfect life. Lord, may we use this to honor and cherish and glorify you. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Pastor Nick Eaton to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. Let's pray. 
Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, so grateful for the sacrifice that you've made. And we gather around the table this morning to remember um, your grace and forgiveness over and over again, Lord. We're so grateful for that. We, we don't deserve any of it, but um, you love us so much that you're willing to forgive us, Lord. And we're so grateful for that. Um, Lord, I pray that we, as we partake in um, communion this morning, that we remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Um, we love you, and we're so thankful for everything you've done. Amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please stand and join us in singing? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we could reflect on all that you are to us with all that you've done for us. And Lord, even in light of the message in terms of how you created everything with such detail, such beauty, such amazing things, we see your handiwork and all that you've made. Lord, may you receive all the praise, all the glory as we tell others about who you are this coming week. So Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being our redeemer. And thank you for being our creator. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.